Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho College murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates It at? is a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag Cyber Sleuths. The Idaho Murders. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. And just like that, we're back. I am jacked, as you can tell. I'm recording this late, late Monday night slash early Tuesday morning instead of rolling out of bed a little bit later on Tuesday morning. And so, full of energy, got about, let me check this can, 250 milligrams and counting of caffeine in me, plus a game one win by the Atlanta Braves in the National League Championship Series. Yours truly, little JP at the time, not from Angels in the Outfield, I'm talking about myself, those are my initials, was in the crowd in the 2001 NLCS, the last time that we, hashtag we, got this close to the World Series. Been a long time, but I'm happy, and so it's going to be a good show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. Leave us five-star reviews. We want to get to 1,000. Some people would aim for 800 when they're where we are. No, let's just fly past 800. Let's get to 1,000. But there are bigger fish to fry this morning, folks, because this, as Tani has told me, because I would not have realized it otherwise, happens to be show number 100. We have reached the century mark. It has been a success, the likes of which, to be honest with you, I didn't know that we would achieve here. I mean, our audience is really big on YouTube, but let's throw it over on podcast. Let's see how it does. Podcast. What did I just say? We'll leave that in there, though. It's been been great, and our show has been growing on every platform we put it on. So I want to tell you, I know I say thank you a lot, that's how I, well, that's how I was raised, and I'm dead serious about it. Thank you so much. On a very serious note, I look through the email inbox and I look through my Twitter DMs, and every day over the summer and even up to and including today, so early in the fall, I get emails and I get correspondence from you guys, and a lot of you say the same thing or a variation of the same thing. And it's thank you for giving us something that at least provides a moment or two of relief and escape during what have been tough times. Everyone's been going through COVID. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have serious family issues that you've shared with me. And of course, I won't share on air. I have been back and forth with a number of you. We got brothers and sisters down in Louisiana who have dealt with a couple of hurricanes. And I had uh, someone talk to me the other day about not having power and listening to the show at a charger station in one of the relief areas set up down there, which blew my mind. But the point is, we make the show for you. I say we because there are people behind the scenes that work here that make this possible. I could never do this on my own. Thank you so much. You email me all the time and say, I'm the one giving you something. You have given me something. That's what I want to tell you as we start the podcast this morning. I, in the midst of all this, have been able to work, quote unquote, covering college football. That's it. That's what most people do for fun. That's what I grew up doing for fun. And you guys allow me to do it for a living. So it's not work here. I'm happy to provide this for you. I thank you so much for you allowing me to provide it for you. With that in mind, let's make show number 100 clean. Let's make it special and let's get to as many questions as we can. Reminder, this is a Q&A format. It's mailbag format. We do this two mornings out of the week, Tuesday and Thursday. Josh Pate 706 at gmail.com is one way to reach me. 
on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. Follow me there while you're at it. That's another way to reach me. You could leave a five-star review, which I highly, highly suggest that you do, in Apple Podcast, at least, and you could leave a written review there. Number of ways to get to me. This is the first podcast where I know I cannot get to every question that's been sent. You guys flooded us this last couple of weeks. Some of you, you were just commenting. So you LSU fans wanted me to talk you off the ledge. Uh, Georgia fans dared me to say anything other than they're winning by 100 in Tuscaloosa Saturday night. Alabama fans are shook right now. Shook as I don't know what. And they're favored in the game by six as we record really early this Tuesday morning. So anyway, I'm going to get to as many as I can. If I don't get to yours, keep sending them because I will eventually get to everything. So thank you so much. Let's get to it here and let's start with Aaron. Aaron says, unfortunately, the NCAA continues to refuse to give the G5 a shot at competing for the national title. All right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to break this question up into little segments. Aaron, I'm not speaking to you sarcastically because I can tell you genuinely, I don't think you know how this works. And that's fine. Uh, You probably have a life to live and you don't know the intricacies of how the college football playoff works. NCAA has no say in this, brother. No say whatsoever. The NCAA tournament, the basketball tournament, which you're about to mention in your question, they control that. They don't control the college football playoff. All right, we continue. He points out the 2010 Fiesta Bowl between Boise State and TCU, 2017 and 18 UCF, all of which were teams who I believe, this is Aaron talking, could have been a national champion if given the opportunity. Aaron, I don't believe that. I don't believe they deserved the shot. Let me be clear. I guess anything could happen on any given football field over four quarters. I don't believe they deserve the shot. I'll break that down more in a second. Aaron continues. I understand the Power Five ultimately does have more talent from top to bottom. They draw more money, but it seems incredibly unfair to have a team go undefeated and not receive a shot at the title. We're pausing again. Uh, It may seem unfair, Aaron, but let me ask you something. If I were to um, take Alabama and I were to take them independent and they scheduled a bunch of G5 teams, and they, they may have scheduled one Power 5 team, but it's like a lower-tier Power 5 team, uh, Georgia Tech. Let's just use them, for example, this year. And they ran the table and won every game convincingly. What would you be saying about them? You'd be saying they haven't played anybody. That's what you'd be saying. And you'd be right about that, by the way. Think about the different standard that we hold teams to. We hold some teams, even in Power 5 conference play. I mean, there have been years where I'll watch a team like, uh, like Alabama, for example, because they can't play themselves in the SEC, They'll play an actual full Power Five conference schedule. They'll put a couple of FC. They'll put one FCS team on there. They'll put a couple of uh, G five teams on there. And I'll have folks telling me they don't play anybody. What are you talking about? They don't play anybody. These are the same people who would scream at me. You got to include Memphis or you got to include Central Florida. And I ask, why do why do I have to? Well, they're they're undefeated, and if they're undefeated, then you can't keep an undefeated team out. But you just told me Alabama hasn't played anyone like. What metric are we going by here? So my point there is undefeated doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. I care about your strength of schedule. I've seen plenty of two lost teams out there before that I would put in over certain undefeated teams. This is not the NFL. Strength of schedule, there is a wide gulf between legitimate strength of schedule and mid-tier strength of schedule versus lower-tier strength of schedule in college football. In the NFL, the toughest schedule versus the weakest schedule. You know what they have in common? There are 16 professional football teams on each of those schedules. The degree of variance between best and worst in the NFL versus college is so different. It's like you're not even playing the same sport. So I don't believe that just going undefeated requires you to be included in anything. 
you're right about the money. You're right about the talent. But let's continue here. Looking at it from a college basketball angle, March Madness is essentially predicated around upsets and about Cinderella teams making a run. People love to watch that. Could you give me your thoughts on why the same isn't true in college football? They would love to watch it. Though, Aaron, they absolutely would love to watch it, brother. But the thing about it is, what do you value? What is college football? What's unique about it? The regular season is what's unique about it. I watch the NCAA tournament too. I love those Cinderella stories too. I'm not a believer that one size fits all and a blueprint that works for one sport would just seamlessly work for every sport. Here's what I mean. I don't watch college basketball in December. I don't watch it in January. I don't watch it in February. And I'm a sports fan. But the NCAA tournament has done two things for me. It's given me a ton of thrills. It has given me uh, endless hours of entertainment in March and early April, but it's also taught me I don't have to care anything about basketball's regular season. Unless I'm a diehard fan, I don't have to care about it. There is no urgency in October and November in college basketball. The number one and number two team could play, and I could look at it and say, who, who won that game last night? I forgot they were playing. I mean, Alabama and Georgia are going to play this Saturday, Saturday night in Tuscaloosa. You, um, you think anybody's skipping that one? You think anybody's going to say, Oh, well, they will be one of 64 teams or 16 teams or whatever the case may be in the field at season's end. I'll just watch them there. The regular season of college football is unique unto anything in the sporting world, not just this country, in the sporting world. I'm not interested in screwing that up because we want to duplicate what another sport's done. And it's a great product, but the problem is college basketball has turned itself into a one-month show for a vast majority of the sporting public. Because the sporting public has been trained to understand March and April, that's really the only time you have to come to the table. You'll know everything you need to know if you come to the table there. You don't have to watch in December, January, February. Regular season's meaningless there. It means something in college football. And, I, and I'm going to sound like a bad guy here. I, I know I said I love those Cinderella stories, but I'll tell you what I really love. I love them in the first and second rounds. When it gets to the final four, I want to see the big boys. I want to see the blue blood. So I may not be the best person to answer this for you, Aaron. And it's clear we differ on this. But I am, I'm a believer that I should reward greatness. And I don't believe undefeated and undefeated alone indicates greatness. I, I don't believe that. Because I believe if you go undefeated and I take your schedule and an odds maker walks up and says, hey, there are 16 other teams in the country this year that we would favor in every game playing the schedule. I don't believe that you have faced any kind of road that's tough enough to warrant me automatically putting you in the Final Four just because you went undefeated. I don't really think that way. All right, next up, another Aaron. I was wondering what you think about the perception behind high-profile coaches and down seasons. Basically, what do you think constitutes a bad season and how many should a coach get before his seat gets hot. All right, so let's just pretend it's a normal year. It's not a COVID year. I would say a down season is, uh, you know, if you're if you're at Texas or you're at, um, you know, Florida, somewhere like that, I would say a down season is, I can confidently say seven wins or less is a down season. Eight wins is, you know, average to below average. And nine wins to 10 wins is a good season, really solid season. And, and 11 and above, obviously, is a great season. Here's where you get stuck sometimes, Aaron. Sometimes you get stuck in this no man's land, as I like to call it. We saw Texas A&M famously get stuck in this for a while under Kevin Sumlin. They weren't great ever, but they weren't terrible 
ever uh, for, for a long time. They were just kind of okay. And they floated, it seems like, as a program in that eight-win range forever. And uh, it got to the point at the end of his tenure where you had Texas A&M fans saying, you know what, if, if you gave me two options, eight wins and four wins this year, I'd just rather have four wins. I'd rather the bottom fall out, leave no doubt, leave nothing to the imagination as to what needs to happen with this program. So that's the answer, Aaron. Like right now, let's say you're on pretty good standing. And let's say you have three consecutive years of eight wins, seven wins, eight wins. I don't think you're getting fired. But if you had one year of three wins, you'd probably be out the door. So what leaves the program in a better situation? It can be a really fine tightrope walk because here's what else could happen. What else could happen is you could be sitting there at eight wins and you could think, oh man, we could be better. And all your mind can envision is what we could be on the plus side. But what you don't realize is if you make a change and you bring in the wrong guy, you start setting your program back. Think about Tennessee. Phil Fulmer at the end, I understand why the move was made. Tennessee has failed to ever recapture what they had under Phil Fulmer, even a little bit past the glory days. They were still pretty good. And, but everyone thought, you know, we make the move, you know, Fulmer, the, the game's passed him by. It's just time. We need a fresh start up here and we'll be right back to where we were. No, you weren't. Then you made another move, and no, you still weren't. Then you made another move, no, you still weren't. You get yourself out in the wilderness, and it takes a while to come back. Frankie is next. Very controversial question here. Is there a benefit to the Pac-12 moving to more favorable kickoff times? There are two camps forming here, Frankie. So what Frankie is talking about is um, since, since there are no fans or very few fans that are going to be in attendance at Pac-12 games this year when they eventually start up, feels like in 2026, but it's about a month away, they're experimenting with some new kickoff times. Now, to you, if you live on the East Coast, it won't be a big deal. You'll have games kicking off at noon, just like you normally do. 11 a.m. Central Time, just like you normally do. The difference is, you're not used to seeing Oregon State versus Utah at noon, because it's 9 a.m. local time out there on the West Coast. Well, they're trying that this year. Now, you've had two camps, obviously. I've always firmly been in the camp that, yes, I think this is a good idea. Now, there is a counter to this. But the counter does not apply to where my logic lies. So the counter is obviously, well, I mean, that's that's just giving a middle finger to fans, asking them to be up that early and be in a stadium at 9 a.m. I mean, it's, some people haven't even eaten breakfast by them. And then you also talk about the effect on the players. You know, players' bodies clock, body clocks, where are they at at 9 a.m.? I understand all that. I understand all that. But let me hit you with a little counter, okay? Because the entire purpose of this is to increase the exposure of the conference, to get the conference in front of more eyeballs than it is right now, to try and own a very, very, I think, attainable media spot right now. The noon window is not leveraged like it used to be. There used to be a lot of big-time games in the noon window, and now, this last week notwithstanding, the noon window was fantastic this last weekend, but a lot of times, typical Saturday, you know, unless you're a degenerate gambler, you can afford to go out and, and hit up Home Depot in the morning, maybe maybe take your wife and kiss the lunch, hit up the gym, as long as you're back by those 3.30, 2.30 kickoffs. And then, of course, you got the primetime window. And I think that noon window has been really up for grabs. The Pac-12 just never been able to take it because, for obvious reasons, they are disadvantaged in time zone. And so that's what's on the table. So anytime someone's asked me this, it's always in the context of, 
How do they gain exposure? Would starting games at 9 a.m. gain them more exposure? Well, the answer is, of course it would. Absolutely it would. But then you come back to me and say, oh, it's going to it's going to kind of suck for the fans in the stands. It's going to kind of suck for the players. Well, of course it will, especially initially. Of course it will. That's not what you asked me. You didn't ask me what's best for fans in attendance. You didn't even ask me what's going to make players the happiest. If you asked me that, I'd say absolutely not. No 9 a.m. kickoffs. So we got to understand status quo is not working for the Pac-12. So as it stands right now, you keep things the way they are. Things will continue to be the way they are. So changes have to be made. And some people would say, okay, teams just have to be better out there. Okay, well, if you got that in the offering, if you know that's coming, then everything I just said is moot. But I will say this. Players don't have a problem getting those body clocks ready for 5 a.m. workouts in the offseason. So it does happen now. And fans, I've seen many a college game day broadcast from Eugene, Oregon, where that place is packed and the sun's not even up yet. So it's doable. It would just be totally different. It would, be, it would be a radical concept. I'll grant you that. I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. Next up is Matthew. How much longer do you think Pete Golding will be the defensive coordinator at Alabama? Through the end of this year, at least, Matthew. There was a rumor. Actually, I'm recording this well after midnight, but I'm going to say tonight. Uh, there was a rumor earlier tonight on Twitter about Charlie Strong taking over defensive play calling duties at Alabama. Yeah, as some of you are realizing at this moment, you thought Charlie Strong was in witness protection. No, he's just stored away at Alabama. Mike Stoops, remember Mike Stoops? Yeah, he's stored away at Alabama too. Butch Jones is, of course, still stored away at Alabama. They have their own cubbyhole. And they when Nick Saban's done with them during the day, he just puts them in their cubbyhole. And then they're there right when he comes in the office in the morning and he just puts them to work with whatever task he wants them to fulfill that day. Charlie Strong is not the defensive coordinator at Alabama. He will not be playing calling at Alabama. So I don't know where in the world that came from. But I I do think that Pete Golding's there through the end of this year. Now, will they make a move towards the end of the year? A lot of people thought they would last year, and they didn't. I I would obviously tend to lean yes right now. Still early in the season. Alabama's defense has been an unmitigated disaster, especially following the Ole Miss performance. So, Matthew, I think they'll... There'll probably be movement there. I just don't think it's going to happen quite as quickly, maybe as fans want it to. Remember, Alabama's undefeated right now. They didn't lose Saturday. So it wasn't cause of that defense, obviously, but they didn't lose. So it's not total disaster time yet. Uh, let's see, where do we want to go here? Let's go next up, Ben. Back in the summer, you fielded a question on this podcast about comparing Michigan's future potential and Texas's future potential. You said something along the lines of, you would say Texas has a better future potential because they had brought in new coordinators, whereas Michigan's future rested solely on the shoulders of offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis. I was wondering, would you change that answer now based off the Texas start to the season, or is it too soon to answer that question without seeing Michigan? I'd say it's too soon, Ben. Obviously, my impression of Texas has changed. There's a lot of drama going on out there right now. I mean, a lot of drama. Puts a lot of soap operas to shame. A lot going on behind the scenes there. I, I, I have still understated what's happening at Texas behind the scenes right now. So it's very fractured there. Um, I will say this, though. What I feel about Texas as a program, if they make a move, if, if Tom Herman is indeed on his way out, they are very well positioned right now. This is not a situation where they have internal rot in their program. What they have, I've made it the equivalent to at least, is a very finely tuned fighter jet, they just have the wrong pilot in the cockpit. 
that's not that hard a fix. It takes a lot of money, but that's not really that difficult to fix. If you got the working plane, if the infrastructure and facilities and support, recruiting, like all that's in place, you just need the right head coach. It's easier said than done. But if you're Texas, you got every resource at your disposal imaginable to go find the right pilot. You put the right pilot in the cockpit of a fighter jet, they know how to fly it immediately. There's no acclimation period. They may have to learn the secretary's names, but they understand exactly what to do. They implement their culture. It's ready to go. So having said that, until I see Michigan, I would still lean Texas. Richie is next. And there there were dozens upon dozens of Alabama-Georgia questions. We are doing the full game preview and prediction tonight, if you're listening on Tuesday, on Late Kick Live. So make sure you tune into that and give us a, a subscription. Tough word to say on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. You people were maniacs on there today, by the way. We had our highest traffic day ever. And we also, I put out just a simple early thoughts video for Georgia Bama. I did some of it at the very end of the Sunday night show. So I, I just cut that video. I said, Colin, you know what? Let's let's put it on there. Let's wet their appetite a little bit. That thing did, I think, 17,000 views in the last eight hours. So it's, I mean, it's like substance abuse in video form. Couldn't put enough out there for you guys. So... I noticed we're going to put more out there, but Richie says, and he's a Bama fan. He says, I'm a Bama fan, but I don't look through crimson colored glasses. I think Georgia has the best defense and the most balanced offense in the SEC right now. And I just don't see us and how we're favored. Is this just odds makers working some voodoo to make money? No, Richie, I, I totally see how Alabama's favored. And I'm going to show you what our number is on the game tonight. I totally see how they're favored. I want you to take yourself back, Richie, to Friday. What would you have thought about this game? You haven't seen the Tennessee-Georgia game. You haven't seen Ole Miss-Alabama. What would you have thought about it? What do you think about Stetson Bennett? What do you think about Alabama as a team? They just beat A&M pretty soundly. Uh, what do you think about the offense? Like, what, what do you think about it? You probably think Alabama is solidly above a touchdown favorite. You would lean comfortably Alabama. All that's changed is eight total quarters of football. Now, while your opinion may have radically shifted, I can tell you no odds maker on God's green earth, unless quarterbacks have been injured, no, no odds maker worth his or her salt is shifting an opinion or a point spread on a game over seven points, over the, especially on high-profile teams, over the course of one outcome. Just not happening. That's just not the way those folks operate. There's a lot of overreaction right now in the mind of an odds maker to what Alabama just had happened to them. An odds maker looks at Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin and they say they'd make a lot of people look foolish. It was also possibly a look-ahead spot for Alabama. This is not me talking. I'm not making excuses. I'm telling you what an odds maker would think. An odds maker also looks at these rosters and they see that they're very comparable. They'd come right here to 247sports.com and look at that team talent. But then what they'd do is they'd see comparable talent. Then they'd look at offense and they value it, and they value the quarterback position, and they'd see what Alabama's able to do, and um, it matters a whole lot. The quarterback production there, the wide receiver production, you talk about balance with Georgia. I don't believe Georgia's the most balanced offense in the SEC. I think Alabama's far more balanced than they are, but remember how I define balance. It's not found on a stat sheet. It is, can you convince your opponent you're willing to run the ball or pass the ball on any down? That's it. That's the whole purpose behind balance. It doesn't really matter what my numbers say. If I'm the OC over here and you're across the field from me and you're the defensive coordinator and you believe when it's third and four 
that I'm capable of doing anything, when you on second and six look across and you can't tell if I'm going to run it or pass it, I have achieved balance. That's it. That's Alabama. That's not Georgia. Uh, there are very, very noticeable tendencies and trends for Georgia offensively right now, and that's not a knock. They're doing exactly what they should do. They are playing complementary football is what they're doing. But I think Alabama's favored for a reason. I think they should be favored. Um, I think maybe, Richie, you've gotten a little bit too far down. I think uh, maybe it's like one of those carnival rides that I would never get on in a million years because I've watched a carnival get set up before in South Commons parking lot in Columbus, Georgia. Um, not the not the most seamless operation in the world, let's just say that, but one of those carnival rides where it's like this 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 big container and it takes the people all the way to the left and all the way to the right. You got to... You got to keep things between the lines, Richie. You got to keep the faith is what I'm telling you to do. Keep the faith. It won't be that bad. I don't think Alabama is going to get run out of their building Saturday. I don't think they're running Georgia out of their building. I think it's the best offense in America going against the best defense in America. And boy, a few months ago, didn't know if we were going to get football, period. And now this is what we get on Saturday. Coach is up next. Josh, could you do a video about how Texas A&M could make the playoff? Hey, what a question. Some of you are laughing. I see some of you laughing, so I'm going to give you time. I'm going to give you five seconds. Take the next five seconds. Do whatever you want to. Within reason, of course, I gave you five seconds. Some of you still cackling, if not just giggling, but let me read something to you. Let me see if this changes your mind. A&M's 2-1 right now. They lost to Alabama two weeks ago. They beat Florida. They're 2-1. Those are the two toughest opponents on their entire schedule. A&M schedule the rest of the way. Follow me, friends. Tell me where they'll be an underdog. At Mississippi State. We know they're a seven-point favorite. By week, I like their odds there. At Arkansas, favorite. South or they got Arkansas at home, favorite. They go to South Carolina, should be a favorite. They go to Tennessee. I would imagine AM will be a short favorite there. Either way, competitive ball game, obviously. They've got Ole Miss at home, should be favored. They've got LSU at home. As of right now, they'd be favored. And then they go to Auburn to end the year. Right now, I'd lean Texas A&M in that game. The point is, there is a distinct possibility this team is favored in every game the rest of the way. Point spreads do not determine who wins a game, and I understand that. But it, at the very least, paints the picture that this is manageable. Now, they keep losing receivers, and that's not ideal, but it's manageable. And I think you saw against Florida what I've, I've tried to tell people, but I understand you need to see it to believe it. They are good. This is not a bad team. Alabama embarrassed them, but we've talked about the freeze point on Late Kick Live and how A&M just doesn't meet it. They cannot be competitive with Alabama, but most teams can't. But there's a next tier right below Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and if you can hang out there and you can go 9-1, and one, you're right in the playoff conversation. Don't think for a second they wouldn't be. They'd be right there. They may not go to Atlanta because you would assume Alabama would go to Atlanta. But if Alabama goes to Atlanta and they win the SEC and A&M is 9-1 and one and their only loss was to the SEC champion in this year where you played 10 conference games, absolutely they get serious consideration. Having said that, they could lose Saturday. Like they could lose three more games. This is still a very unpredictable team. I just think they're capable, but unpredictable. All right, Jake asked me, who would you go to for gambling advice? And Jake is talking about picks. So he, he gave me a long question. I just said in a synopsis, gambling advice. Jake, here's my, here's my advice for you. Don't bet. That's my first piece of advice. Most of you are going to ignore that. So if you're going to bet, my second piece of advice is if you're going to spend money on something, buy information, buy the right information. 
I've got an acquaintance, let me say, who is not paying me a dime to say this, unfortunately, uh, but runs a website, collegefootballunlimited.com. I think they do a phenomenal job. I have told him repeatedly they should be charging more than what they do. I can't remember what it is. Anyway, it's not much. And what you get is you don't get just gobs and gobs and gobs of data thrown your way. It's a really good system they've set up there. And all it does is it just it provides a final score projection for you. It also correlates that with what the current point spread on the game is and gives you a cover probability per game. That is information, okay? That's not making your picks for you. That is giving you a projected final score, a nice color code. It looks really pretty. And then it lets you make your decision. That's what I advise you to do. Use the brain God gave you. Learn how to properly harness information and learn discipline and money management and then go about it that way. Don't just listen to some tout who comes on a radio show Thursday and promises you the world and then ask yourself, wait wait a second, how come I've never heard of this guy before if he's so elite? Oh, well, I'll buy it anyway. He convinced me. Those are car salesmen. That's essentially what those are. Don't, don't fall for that. If you're going to pay for anything, pay for information. Um, collegefootballunlimited.com, though, I would, uh, I'd head over there. Okay. If you're going to go somewhere for information, I'd head over there. We're lucky enough here to have uh, memberships to profootballfocus.com. I love the resources they have there. Just as much information as you can get your hands on, understand how to properly utilize it. I'll also tell you this, when those lines come out on Sunday afternoon, right off the bat, I'm knocking four out of five of them off the table. I'm looking at our numbers, my internal numbers, juxtaposed to the Vegas line. And right off the bat, I eliminate 80% of games. The lines are so tight that I know I'm not going to find any value there. They're done. I don't look at them again the rest of the week. I've narrowed it down to somewhere between 8 and 15 games, 15 on the high end, the very high end per week. And then I'll continue to shave those down as we go through the week. And by the week, I mean Monday or Tuesday. And eventually I'll be working with about 7 to 10 games by Thursday that I'm going to whittle down to five or six and that sides and totals. And I may play some live stuff, but don't be betting that entire board. Understand how you identify value and how tight lines are and how hard it is to win at this stuff. If you're out there betting 25 games on a Saturday, you're just not doing it right. So I will say this. I think that we have kind of perfected the art of how to talk about gambling on late kick because what I learned a long time ago is some of you obviously bet on this stuff, but I'm not going to do a gambling show. Now, we we incorporate that element, and I give you my five best bets of the week. We're sitting at right at 60% against the number right now. If I could, uh, if I could freeze myself there for the rest of eternity, I'd never need to work again. So we we love where we are right now. We, we normally do very well. I've done better than 54% against the number the last six years running, all documented. I give them out every week on the show. And the four out of the last five years, we've been above 56%. And that's really good territory to be in. Uh, Bud Elliott does a lot of really good stuff here too. Puts out a, a column every week, Bud's Bets. I take a look at that. Bud does very well for himself too on this stuff. And so a lot of good gambling talk in the 24-7 Slack room during the week. But as for the way we covered on Late Kick, I learned a long time ago, not everyone who's fascinated in listening to point spread, and wagering-related content bets. Some of you don't bet a penny on this stuff, and you're probably all the wiser for it and, and probably a lot wealthier for it, but you're still fascinated at the inner workings of the odds-making industry. You're fascinated at kind of trying to project what you think the line's going to be, and then you look at what the line is, and I understand that. I understand your fascination with it. So I don't run a tout service over here, any kind of strict gambling show, 
I try and sprinkle in enough to where it appeals to the mass audience so that someone who lives in Des Moines, Iowa, who never bets, this appeals to you. And someone who lives down in Lakeland, Florida, who bets heavily, it appeals to you too. And I think we do a pretty good job on that. I am willing to pat ourselves on the back there because I don't ever hear criticism for the way we talk about betting. Many other things, yes, but not betting. All right, let's... um. Let's go to Shane. Shane had two really good questions, all the way from Ireland, by the way, which means I should have bumped him right up to the top because international questions are just the best. We had we had some listeners in Guam the other day. That was great to see. So he's talking about taking games overseas, and he's talking about what Notre Dame is going to be, and we got a lot left to get to and not a lot of time to do it. So we'll toss it to the break. We'll come right back, and we'll answer these. New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCS! And join our elite team. What about the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS, Monday, 9, 8 central, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. So Shane says, all the way from Ireland, do you ever see SEC powerhouses participating in overseas games like the NFL? We here in Ireland were supposed to have Notre Dame and Navy and Nebraska and Illinois next year with three more games lined up for 22, 23, and 24. I'd love to see Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia live here. What do you think? Shane, I'd, I would say no. I never say never, but I would say no only because the culture uh, in the SEC, anytime they schedule a neutral site game, has always been with recruiting in mind. That's why it's been Atlanta, Dallas. Those are big recruiting hubs. Now, Notre Dame's a little bit different with the way they try and get around. They go to Boston. I mean, they're not recruiting Boston heavily, and they'll – They'll play a game in Chicago, and so they'll do the the overseas stuff too. I don't think that I would see the SEC going down that road. I could be wrong there. I don't see that happening. As for his second question, he asked about Notre Dame. Do you ever see them becoming a perennial powerhouse again? If so, how? Yeah, I, well, yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's very possible. I don't think they're that far away, Shane. There are a lot of elements of this team that are a lot closer to being elite than anyone realizes. The reason people don't realize it is because they don't have what Clemson has had, Alabama has had, Ohio State has, Oklahoma has had uh, certain elements of this, and that's elite quarterback play. And so Notre Dame has not had that. That is the next step. Whether it's Tyler Buckner or someone else, that's the next step. They have got to have for their program happen what happened when Taj Boyd and then really when Deshaun Watson walked into Clemson, it changed that program forever. Now Clemson has no problem getting top quarterbacks in America. That used to not be a thing. Now it is. You had Trevor Lawrence. You had DJ Uyangalale. Learn how to pronounce that name, by the way, folks. Don't make a fool of yourself like you did with Tonga Vailoa. Don't do that. Learn it now. Learn it. Be ahead of schedule. Well, if that can ever happen at Notre Dame, 
then you start that conveyor belt of elite perimeter skill coming in there and elite offensive talent from all over the country wanting to come there. I still think the brand appeals. I really do. I've told you the story before. I grew up in Columbus, Georgia, totally isolated from the North. I'd never been to Indiana. I'd never been to a Notre Dame game. I saw Rudy. That's all I saw. It appealed to me. I mean, that brand still matters a whole lot. It still carries a lot of weight. But brands don't win. Teams win. Players win. And so you got to get the players. So I think, yes, the answer is yes, they could. They got to get the right quarterback in there. And then I think a lot of things would fall into place. Otto is up next with, I think, a very important question. If today you could only watch reruns of The Office or every college football game happen for the rest of the year and nothing else, which would you go with? Well, Otto, I got to go with college football. Um, and I'll tell you why. I've already seen every episode of The Office, aside from the abomination that was season nine, uh, which we don't talk about on here. It's a, it's an eight-season series, as far as we're concerned, except for a few memorable quotes at the end of season nine. But I already have every one of those episodes, mem- episodes memorized. They're all up here. Boom, boom, boom. Knocking on my head. They're all up there. So I can just replay them anytime I want to anyway, as I'm watching North Carolina, Virginia Tech. But think about what college football gives you. Not only do you get the athletic competition side of things, there's a lot of humor in college football. Did you listen to Lane Kiffin last week? There is a lot of drama in college football. Think about what's happening at Texas right now. There's obviously a lot of entertainment in college football. And so I get the same elements and I add in the athletic competition side of things. So as much as I love the office, there's no substitute for what we get in the world of college football. Uh, Next up was Jesse. Jesse had a question. He said, I haven't heard you talking about going to games on Saturdays. Are you guys allowed to go cover games? Uh, Jesse, we are allowed to, but I haven't gone. I've opted not to because we cannot have field access right now. And I like to go. I like to be on the sideline. I like to go to the field. I only go to the press box to eat, and that's several times per game. But I have chosen instead to, here's my here's my Saturday routine. I wake up at 6.45, I get first breakfast, then I'll do uh, some looking around and reading and seeing about injury reports and weather and stuff and looking at line moves. Then I'll have second breakfast and pre-workout. I'll go and work out at 9 a.m. Central Time. I'll uh, have some tweets scheduled to fire off reminders to watch our preview videos. And then I'll go over to the 24-7 Sports offices, where I am one of two people cleared to be in the building right now. That's me, picture of health. And I will set up six monitors and I will be wall to wall from the noon kickoffs, Eastern time, 11 a.m. Central time, all the way until I want to say I left the building at 1.45 a.m. Central time, no less, this last Saturday night, early Sunday morning. That's been my day. Now, the benefit is if I'm not on the road, I can get a lot of the Sunday show done early. But really, even that's still not the case. The Sunday show is very involved. There's a lot of work. It goes into those Sunday shows. It's fun because it's, you know, what I would be doing anyway, but there's a lot that goes into that. It takes a long time for Colin and I to put those Sunday shows together. And it's at least made a little bit easier if I'm not on the road. So yeah, until, until they uh, lower those restrictions on who can be on the field and who can't, I'm probably going to, probably going to hang out here. Next up is Victor. I look at the remaining schedule for Florida. I see the possibility of an eight and two finish provided the defense becomes even mediocre. What are your thoughts? Uh, Victor, certainly the possibility is there. Uh, but they, man, I've been, I've been so wishy-washy on my opinion of the SEC East. I picked uh, Florida to, or picked Georgia to win the East. And then I saw some things I liked, obviously, from Florida in the early portions of the season, which we're still in. 
And so I leaned them. I mean, this was coinciding with Georgia hanging a five spot in the first half against Arkansas. Now, here's the thing about predictions you need to know about me. I don't care about them. I care about my week-to-week predictions. I don't really care about my preseason predictions. I flip-flop all the time. I could flip-flop three or four times and not care because uh, I don't I don't think there's skill in that. That's for fun, and that's stuff that people do in preseason for fun, and I do it too. I mean, I'm not saying I don't, but I don't really care about that. I care about the week-to-week stuff. So like after this week, I mean, if Georgia were to beat Alabama or even just look impressive against them, and Florida's defense continues to struggle, I'd probably just switch back to Georgia. Like, I don't care. Uh, you can make fun of me all you want to. I don't care. Uh, really. I mean, I, I can't overstate that enough. I don't care. I'll make fun of myself. Uh, Jeff is next. I know coaches have game film of their opponents. I'm curious to know, though, how much do they contact each other about upcoming opponents? Does Kirby call Lane Kiffin and ask what he would have done different against Alabama? Does Nick Saban call Jeremy Pruitt and ask how he felt Georgia struggled against them? Well. Jeff, I don't think they struggled all that much, brother, but I get the point in what you're asking here. Uh, yes, this happens, but I'll tell you where it really happens. Okay, the, the head coaches, yeah, they'll they'll talk every now and then. I truly think where the lifeblood of the communication is is between assistants, because all the assistants know each other. It's a it's an incestuous world in the most complimentary of ways. Assistants are constantly reaching out. I was talking to one the other day, and they had an opponent coming up that was common with. Uh, a team that they had buddies on the staff for that had already played them. And he was talking about the exchange of information throughout the week. And that's happening most every week. The point being when you have an industry that tight and a fraternity coaching world that tight, everyone has worked with everyone. The whole six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing. You rarely get six degrees or even three degrees apart in the sport of football before someone has worked with someone who knows someone. So the answer is it's happening every week. You got to stay on people's good side so they'll want to help you. That's the point. And the higher you get on the food chain, the less likely they are to want to help you. That's why that whole little group text you heard about last week with Saban's former assistants, it didn't include Nick Saban, did it? Now, the guy's got to know how to text before it would, but you get the point there. All right, we got a big night coming up. I mean, a really big night. We have got the Georgia-Alabama full prediction special blowout extravaganza tonight. Whatever I can fit on the thumbnail, to be honest with you. Shameless, I know. So make sure you tune in there. As I said, we've been doing great traffic there, but we've also been doing great traffic here on the podcast side of things. Remember, five-star reviews, five-star reviews, five-star reviews. Now, here's what I know, because I'm one of you. I listen to a ton of podcasts, and I hear people beg for five-star reviews, and I'll realize, man, I've listened to this show for like a year, and I haven't even given a five-star review. So I know you're out there. I know you are. I know you are. There's someone listening right now. And you haven't taken two seconds to do it. So now, better time than ever. Just pull up that Apple podcast feature. Just go to the Late Kick podcast. You're already there. You're listening right now. And scroll down to the bottom, wherever you have to go. Click that five star. And even leave us a written review. I don't even care if they're questions or comments. I read everything you send me. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, too, at Late Kick Josh. We've been giving out best bets on Twitter. Sometimes I don't wait until the show itself. So it's important, more so than ever this time of year, don't miss a show. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. Again, at Late Kick Josh. We have got a loaded show coming up tonight, but uh, I got to get some sleep before then. So thank you so much. You're listening to this already tomorrow morning. It's a busy week. It's a fun time. We got college football wall to wall. Thank you so much for listening to the Late Kick Extra podcast for producer Jordan. I'm Josh Pate. Have a great day. I'll see you guys later tonight.
streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.